Um, and, and so now we're going to be looking at deacons. You might think, a deacon, what in the world? Trust me, it's good, okay? <laughs> it's useful and, and helpful for all of us. And remember, this, this letter was written to give insight uh, or, I guess, instruction and, and, st- and structure for what the church should look like. As Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus, there was a lot of stuff that came up. A lot of, there was a mess. We know Timothy's pretty young. We don't know exactly how young. But Paul's like trying to encourage him, this is how you set up leadership. This is how you make it so you're less vulnerable and susceptible to the wiles of the devil and the, and the flesh. So uh, that's kind of what we're looking at. And being as we're a church, we pay attention to this and we notice this. And maybe uh, we're not all elders, which would be like pastoral leadership, but deacons are those who serve. So this is actually like relating to all of us, okay? So stand up if you would. If you don't have to, but, you know, you can. Most will. Um, we're going to read verses 8 through 16, and then we'll pray and get started. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith uh, with a pure conscience. But let these also be f- first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, uh, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing uh, and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though, I hope to come to you shortly. Uh, But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up. In glory, Lord, thank you for this time together that we could gather, and we thank you for your, your word that is uh, alive, living, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces right to the core of all of our issues, Lord, and, and it uh, can, can illuminate, and it can make clear, and it can, like, it can rectify real-life problems. So God, we, we pray that we would be ready to hear it this morning. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Fill us with your spirit that we may understand and give us the application principles to like actually apply it to our lives. So we're not just hearers, but we're also doers of what we hear. So we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Like I said, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the life of an overseer, the elder. Uh, Now we're going to look at the life of a deacon. Verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Uh, so deacon is the word diakonos. Um, that's, that would be what it is in Greek. Uh, it means servant or attendant. It's one who ministers to or takes care of others. Uh, this is like general serving, right? So a lot of people have the role of a deacon, those who are serving and ministering, um, one of the major differences you see between a deacon and an elder, the elders is a little stricter, and it involves teaching. 
Uh, so this would be those who are serving in lots of different capacities. Uh, I believe deacons don't, it does, it, it scripturally seems like male, female, every, they're both part of that, that ministry, right, in serving in that way. But it's the idea of a servant. It's the same word used in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, uh, where um, she goes through 45, uh, but it says, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great, uh, their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. That's diakonos, same word, shall be your servant. And whoever uh, of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve. Diakoneo, that would be like, you know, the action of, or you know, whatever. Uh, and to give his life a ransom for many. So that's it in its context. Jesus was, saw himself as that. So think of this when you hear deacon. I don't know. I think of like, if you grew up, especially in a more traditional church structure, you're like, the deacons, oh, here comes the deacons. And you're like, what in the world is that? And I know Wake Forest is the demon deacons, which is so scary. You know, is that the demon servants? Anyway, uh, so get your eyes kind of off of all of that and just think about this. Servant, someone who serves. So are you involved in serving in ministry? I hope so. I would hope so. Uh, then this all applies to really all of us here, right? So what do we know about deacons? They are, must first be reverent. The idea of reverent is worthy of respect, that they have a respectable life, that they'd be able to be brought up to light. And, and look, no, not perfect. None of us are perfect. We're not looking for perfection, but we are looking for integrity, right? Uh, so if you're in the position of serving, you're gonna, you will be blessed by having integrity, and everyone you're serving will be blessed by you having integrity. So it's someone who's worthy of respect, right? You live your life in a manner that's worthy of respect, right? We'll see, there's a lot about order here. Uh, and that sounds boring, but it is so much less boring than, you know, getting crazy and, you know, having everything fall apart, right? Uh, so uh, reverent, worthy of respect, not double-tongued. Um, this word, or this, I guess, saying, it means insincere, Men-pleasing. That's the idea of double tongue. It was like if you go and you tell one person one thing, uh, and then you go and you tell a person on the other side, you're kind of like catering to both of them, right? You're giving them, and people think this is like really positive, you know? Like, oh, I just want to be, you know, affirming and helpful to everybody in every way, and, and, you know, I see your side, and I agree, and yeah, they're really bad. And you go over there, and you're like, I agree, and I see your side, and yeah, they're really bad. Now, this is not the place of a leader, you know, leaders are to tell the truth, not lying, right? Um, I just got done reading a book that was really interesting. It was all about how Satan sets everything up based on his lies. And you can look back and you can look through uh, Genesis 3. It was, it was this deceptive lies. And we, we talked about it even a little bit out here beforehand. We have like a little huddle up prayer before church. And, you know, he's the master of lies, He's been perfecting it for thousands of years. You know, you're a better liar now than you were when you were a kid, right? Probably, right? When you're a kid, it's just like so obvious, you know, like, uh, and, and they've made some of the funniest videos, right? Like you can watch like a little kid where the, where the, have you seen the one where the little girl's like writing on something and she, the mom says, don't write on that. And then she's like, 
no, I was writing on this, you know, and you're like, everybody knows, or they hold something behind their back, like, oh, it must not be there, I can't see it, right, and so, like, it's really funny when, you know, kids try to lie to you when they're young, but when they get older, they get better at it, right, and, and you become masters of it, imagine Satan, who is a, you know, angelic being, has been mastering this for years, and we share this scripture, and it's been really, like, you know, kind of, sitting with me lately when you recognize this. John 8, 44, you belong, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees who are like, we're of Abraham, who are you? Jesus says, oh, you're of Abraham, huh? No, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, listen to this, when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So you understand that deception is a big part of the game. Now, where things get really messed up is where deception and lying has become part of your own cultural experience in your own life. Yeah, I have a friend kind of give me some fibs recently where I'm like, that was a lie. And I knew it was a lie, and you kind of press on it, and then you watch them squirm out of it, and you're like, man, no, my kids are actually better at lying than you, you know. But you're just like, oh. And, and, and what, what happens is you're actually more prone to even question it because, you know, sometimes these people have already lied to you before. And so there's kind of like an, a whole thing where you're like, you're kind of a liar, and I know you're saved, but, like, that hasn't translated to this working out for you. And, and I think a lot of times we lie as when we lie, it's because we don't understand who we are in Christ, that, you know, you're not expected to be, you know, perfect. Uh, the, uh, and, and by being more honest, we actually find ourselves closer to the Lord. And more transparent we are, the closer we are to God, because we can actually admit our failures and our faults, and man, I'm messed up, and man, I've been slipping, or man, I'm having a hard time. Those are our favorite people, right? Do we, do we love people who always got it all together? No, we don't really love those people that much, you know? We love people when they're like really honest with us, brutally honest with us, you know? And I was thinking, like, uh, I, I think I was way too brutally honest when I first got involved in youth ministry. But it was what drew a lot of kids in. And then they'd start being honest. And boy, were they honest. But one of the things I, 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 was, I was listening to a podcast, and this guy was saying, you know, one of the major things we got to look out for is the bigger your ministry grows or the bigger your business gets or the, the higher you get into the, the sphere of people looking at you, the less transparent you, you are. But the thing that drew people to you in the first place was the transparency and honesty that I am not God. And I need him just as bad as you do. So when we're honest and we're, we're real about it, then it, it, it makes up a, a totally different atmosphere. So we don't want to be double-tongued. We want to just tell the truth. Speak the truth in love. We also know people who are brutal with the truth. Please don't be that. That's just like painful, Okay. And you go, you should be able to handle it. Yeah, but you should be able to say it better too. Just try and tell me like in a nice way, you know, the truth. We need both of those things. So anyway, not double-tongued. If you're involved in service, we've got to be really honest with each other and honest. God, that is going to take you a long way. Not given to much wine. This has been brought up again. This was with the elders. You know what that tells me? Ephesus was having an issue. You know, like, it's like, hey, all of your leaders are drinking too much. 
And we need to, that, that can't be, especially when you're involved in intimate, like, relational ministry. When people are telling you stuff, boy, as soon as you see people drinking a little bit too much, all of a sudden, they start saying things they should not say. And you're like, you should not be telling me this. And that messes up the, the relationship with the person they heard it from, and you know full well I ain't telling you anything. And so, so you see, uh, the more that we guard ourselves around bad leadership, the, the more we fall into bad leadership. We become it ourselves. So the church is to be this transparent ministry where we can take, be honest with each other and we can confess our sins to one another and God cleanses us and, and makes us new and renews us and revives, you know. But as soon as we get all screwed up and start, you know, manipulating and trying to, I have this life, I told that lie to that person, I told that lie to that person, and this is getting tricky. Following Jesus has, is very hard. You know, no, that's not, that's not following Jesus. That's the Pharisees that Jesus is calling out. Saying, your father is a liar. That's why you look just like your dad. So don't do that. So not giving him much wine, that helps, us from being, that helps us to be temperate and smart and wise and, and know how to handle real situations in life. You know? If you, if you shouldn't be operating heavy machinery, you shouldn't be doing it at all. Because sometimes heavy machinery comes to you. Sometimes real things come to you. Are you ready for it? Or is it going to go sideways? That's the thing. We've got to be ready always. You can't be when you're drunk. Okay, moving on. Not greedy for money. Okay, not greedy for money. This will ruin motives and this will ruin values. If you're greedy for money, you'll be, you'll be doing things for the wrong reason. Money is a great servant. It's a terrible master. It can be used greatly. I think, was it John Wesley? I should have had it written down. But he said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So he wasn't against the idea of making money, but he was absolutely against the fact that it had mastery over you. And he spent his life very frugally using all the resources he could get. God has given me the ability to make money and to do all this, and I use it for the kingdom. And it was, he had a great ministry in that sense. So it's not, money is not bad, you know? Sometimes we get that twisted up. The love of money is. Greed for money absolutely is and will ruin your relationship with others and your ministry, right? Can we all agree? We know this, right? Can you watch money get in the way between you and your family members? I thought we were family. Well, until we split up the estate, now all of a sudden we're not so tight, are we? And you got other things to say. No greed for money, you know. And it's always good to remember, you know what? Think about the flowers of the field. It's all good. Let it go. Okay. Um, verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Um, this is that they know what they believe. So a servant should not be like an elder, a novice. Right? We should know what we believe. I think this is actually a really important period. Um, so we should know what we believe and practice what we know. Um, and I think we have a discipleship crisis, you know, where so many of Christians and even leaders don't know what they believe. And so that's really important in service because you're, it's all, we're always going to be going back to like, man, what does God say about this? Or how should I handle this or whatever? Cause it's, it's easy to go to kind of like your default, you know, when, when things get weird or things get hairy, you know, you go to your default, you know, 
And so, like, that, that was, like, when we were on a mission trip and all of a sudden these Albanians told us to leave and whatever, and they're like, or else, you know, there's going to be trouble. My default was like, well, let's fight these Albanians, you know? Like, we'll just fight them. They're smaller than, we'll just take them out, you know? And it's like, no, you're on a mission trip. I'm like, that's right, we're on a mission trip. I forgot. This, if I was home, it would be different, you know? But I'm on a mission trip, so dang it, you know? So what do we do? We invested and said, Lord, you know, hey, we don't know what's going on. You know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, we did the ministry. Nothing happened. I think one of the brothers got saved, actually one of those guys. So, you know, and no one got beat up, which was awesome. Although one of them was trying to arm wrestle me, kind of. And I don't know what was that about. I was like, hi, nice to meet you. And he was like pushing. I'm like, what are you doing? And so anyway, I beat him. Um, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I'm not kidding, but I'm, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> Holding, we got to know what we believe, why we believe, where and who we are. We'll see it in 2 Timothy where he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you want to be used, you've got to know who you are. You've got to know what you believe. Right? And that takes work. You go, I don't have time for this. Yes, you do. Because you watch your tutorials on how to do your little thing that you're not very good at, you know? You know, I watch, you know, watch your tutorials to, man, uh, if I could just switch, you know, fix this, my, I'd be shooting, you know, par every, no, you, you won't probably even with that, right? No, well, there's all kinds of stuff we can use that for. We, we, we love to research and look into all things. Do it with the Lord. There's no greater choice to make. And especially if you go, wow, look at the world around us. Well, that should be an, oh, you know, something where we're looking like, wait, the world around us is kind of sketchy, right? Uh, we have a, a devil who is an expert liar. His native tongue is lying. I just, I just dabble in it, you know? So there's deception everywhere. What's crazy is the world's bought into the deception. So now you're dealing with a whole culture and society that now is affirming these crazy things. And the more we look around, we're like, how in the world is this happening? Well, it's kind of worn to us. We are not autonomous. We are not as smart as we think we are. We're not as original thinkers as we think we are, right? And, and it's like funny. It's like the more you see that, the more you understand that. You're like, oh, wait, okay, you look like that. You must be that. Oh, yeah, okay, you've found your little herd. What's so interesting about that is the closer we draw to Christ, the more integrity we have, the more real we are, the more like uh, of our creativity comes out. And you could see the, the indi individual perfect design of each one of us. But the more you're outside of that, you look at the world around you, you go, you guys are all just following each other. No one is, is unique or original. I like to think for myself, no, you don't. You listen to everything everyone else says to you and you, and you follow it. So that's the thing. We got to be different. We got to be different. And it comes from you actually knowing what you really believe. A lot of times we think we know. We really don't know. I don't really know what I, you know. And that's been a big thing for me. I mean, I've been, I've been like vetting like everything um, deeply with scripture. And that's part of like the master's program I'm in. I'm like, whoa, I believe this. But why do I believe this? What's the basis for this belief? 
And it's funny, once you really figure out the basis for the belief, you are sold. I mean, beyond sold. It's like I always believed it, but now I know why I believe what I believe. And it's like more than ever, I see it in Scripture. And it's like it's coming out everywhere. But that's a, a, a sign of in, indwelling deep depth relationship with the Lord. we got to be there. And, and it takes a lot of work. But it is no greater work. And there will be no better benefit than that. It's like following Jesus takes a lot of work, but it's like, what's the alternative? Seriously. It's a lot more work to live in the flesh long-term. It's fun for like a second, and then life gets insanely complicated. I mean, you could see all the trails of, you're like, look at everything is burned behind me, scorched earth. That was fun for a second. So it's like a little bit of hard now or a lot of hard later, you know? Verse Peter, again, sanctify 3.15, but sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I'm not trying to deter you from serving. I am trying to encourage you to grow. (laughs) This should be something we all want. But you might be like, man, this is hard. This is where we want, we got to be, right? We got to know what we believe and why we believe it. That's what sets us up to be good ministers, to look like Christ, to not get ripped off or to not get messed up. Because, you know, if you're doing it for pats on the back, you don't, you're not going to get enough. You know, if you're doing it for men, for men pleasing, it's, you're not going to get enough out of that. Uh, we got to do it because we know why we're doing it, who we are, and just because we know the hope we have to give to the world. Verse 10, but let these things also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Um, The fall of a leader is devastating, right? When a leader falls, it's devastating. Being thrown into leadership too early or without guardrails can lead to the ruin of the minister and the ministry, right? And so that's why he says, not a novice to the elders, like tested, you know, hey, given guardrails, you know, I mean, that was, that was uh, it's funny when you, you never want them. I don't, you don't want guardrails in your life. You don't want anyone telling you what to do and not do. <laughs> I, mean, I do, that's me anyway. You can't tell me to do that, you know, it's like, okay, chill, you know. But that was one of the things early in ministry, I was under, you know, a lot of people who were like, you know, what are you doing? What, what's that about? Okay, wait, let's talk about that message. Wait, let's talk about this. Wait, you, you know, go do that. Okay, no, go serve. Go, you know, clean the toilets, all those things, right? And, and with time, you find out, okay, this person has been tested and shown that you, you're able to do more and given more opportunities. Uh, but the idea of trying to skip ahead is a really bad idea. You're trying to skip ahead to where you're not uh, and this is actually most dangerous when someone's um, uh, gifting is greater than their integrity or their character. That's where this happens a lot. And again, that's mentioned this a couple weeks ago. That's what happens a lot with celebrity. Oh, whoa, you're a Christian? Come speak at this conference. Oh, my gosh. What a terrible idea. You bring them up in front of like, 100,000 people, I can just imagine those spiritual warfare. If you love this person, you'll disciple them. You don't just use them for your benefit. So when you find someone with gifting, take the time to develop their character, or it will be a short run. I've seen it so many times. 
Because you're so quick, you want to, ah, I just want to grab one. Ah, this person could really help us. And, oh, it could really get people in the door. And, oh, God will work out the rest. And you go, great, that kind of worked. But that person shipwrecked, and they don't even, like, believe in God anymore. Because they fell apart. They were never discipled. They didn't really know. So we want to be careful about this. And we want to move at the rate where God moves us. Okay? So a lot of times that's the worst possible thing that can happen is you get put into a position you can't handle too early. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. Family life matters. Your family life matters. And it absolutely staggers your ministry life if it's off. Now look, is anybody saying you never fight with your spouse? Good luck. Who's going to be in ministry? That's the first person I don't, I, I went to a wedding once. Actually, I was in the wedding. Uh, and the, the pastor was like, I've, me and my wife have been married for 50 years, and we've never once fought. And I'm like, get me out of here right now. Because I'm thinking, uh, who are you? And why did you want to lie so much, you know? Or do you have a different word you use that doesn't? Like, if you're not fighting, you're not growing in a sense, right? To some extent, right? Where you're like, man, you got you to tell the truth to each other too, right? Remember the truth part? Can, I, can we bring your wife up actually and start asking her some questions? She's like, eye starts twitching. And you're like, uh-oh. So the idea is our family life matters, right? The things we say and do and have in our home, we see it for the elders, we see it for the deacons, your family life matters. And take any, whatever you have to do to make that family life good. Go do what you need to do. If you got to go to a Christian counselor, 100% go do it. <laughs> There's nothing like worth, more worth it than, especially if you have kids. Use every resource you can for your marriage. That's going to be a big deal for you, for your spouse, and for your children. And it will, it will open you up to being able to be used for ministry, right? Because if, if you're messed up at home, we'll see. Paul, he talks about the church almost like the home. There's like a foundation built, and it's, it's like that. You manage your home well. You manage the church. And, and everything gets messed up. So does it take work to fix bad relationships? Yes. Oh, my gosh, Yes. And the longer you wait, the worse it is. But it is so worth it. So worth it uh, to have a good marriage, to have a good witness, to have a good family life. Oh, my gosh. Stop at nothing. If, you, if there's anything you're, you want to stop short on, don't let it be that. <laughs> Spend as much in, invest as much as you can into that, into your marriage as possible if you're married, right? So family life matters, right? Uh, and, and so the wife is with the husband on this. So they have a respectable life. Not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Control your tongues. Control your emotions. This is the idea of a, of a, of a person being under control. Not out of control and chaotic. And you never know what they're going to say. Sometimes that has like currency. Like, oh, I'm just a wild. You just don't know what you're going to get with me. And you're like, I wish we knew a little more what we would get. I, I bet your spouse wishes they knew a little more what they would get. You know, like, it's almost, like, funny. Like, I mean, I've even been there before. It's like, I'm kind of, I've actually said this even to Tori. I'm like, I kind of feel like blowing this whole thing up. 
And it, that means, like, I kind of feel like just dropping a grenade and seeing what happens. See, that's not godly. I'll say that as an example. Okay, so you're like, Pastor, you said he was thinking about blowing this thing. I'm thinking about it. I'm not going to do it. Just thinking about, I'm thinking about, because there's something in you that goes, it'd be fun to get in a big fight right now and, and, and justify my flesh and let you know that I'm good at arguing. If you're married, you know you can do that really easily, right? You know what? Today's a good day to fight. But no, the idea is this. Reverent, respectable, not slanderers. That means we control our tongues. We say the, thing, we say the right thing. We don't talk behind people's back. Temperate. We can control our motions. Faithful in all things. That we're faithful to the things that have been put in front of us. That means if you sign up to do something, you do it. You say you're going to do it, you do it. You're always going to get grace from the church. You're always going to get grace from your friends that really, really love you. But don't make them exercise that grace all the time. Because as much as they'll give you grace, you're deemed kind of unreliable. And that's a bummer. And that's, it's, it's like, we still love you the same, but it's like, ah, no, do the thing you say you're going to do. Be a part of the thing you say you're going to be a part of. Be faithful to that, right? And this is something, man, we all work on, right? So ruling your children in their own house as well means you're, you're also work hard at your relationships if you have kids. Spend time with them. Love on them. Give them grace. Ask them for grace. I, I think there is, that's the best thing you can possibly do with your kids is ask them for grace. You know what's amazing about kids? They always give it to you. We are way less likely to give it in certain situations than kids. I, I'm, at least with my kids, I'm like, you know what? I am so sorry that I did that, or I said that to you. I, that was like wrong, and I came across that all wrong, and I'm really frustrated. I was really frustrated, and I said that wrong. I'm sorry. You forgive me. Yeah. I, they always say yes, and they always give you a hug, and you're like, I should be more like this. But like, uh, what you're doing is you're showing your kids how to respond to blowing it, and, and so it's not about a life or a family where everything's perfect and mom and dad seem to have everything to No, that's not it. It's like you're going to blow it sometimes, but blow it well. <laughs> have a, you know, ask for forgiveness. Give grace. Ask for grace. And then grow. Don't keep doing the same thing. Because what we model is going to keep on coming. You know, that's, you're going to keep that train rolling. That family line. And some of us, you know, some people have, have had a rough upbringing, rough family line coming down the line. You go, I didn't have a good model. You're like, right. But being in the church, you get a lot better models, don't you? And so what do you do with now? Not like what it was. Yeah, we've come a long way. But do I want to stop at coming a long way? Or do we want to see God give us, do full transformations in our lives? That's what we want. If you believe that he does, that's the thing. We'll be talking about that at Easter. Come back. You'll hear it then. We really believe he transforms us like new life, really new life. Not just like, I've learned how to be nicer. No, that's, that's so boring. That's so not it. That's a different religion. That's not this one. We're ahead of that team now. Okay, no, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. For those who have served well, obtain for themselves good standing, great boldness. You know what? By living a, a life full of integrity and, and, and knowing who you are and fact that you're serving. Serving is a big deal. Big deal. Okay? 
And, and there's lots of different capacities for serving. You know, you can serve in so many different ways, right? It can be with your actions. It can be with your, your, your whatever. There's all kinds of stuff you can use. It's using what God's given you for his glory, okay? That's the idea of serving. But as you do that, you have good standing. And what, what comes with that? Great boldness. I think the church is lacking boldness. Why? I don't think we're standing very well. I really think that. I think the more we really know who we are as we stand, as we grow in integrity and character, and as we get further and further away from the celebrityism of church, thank God we're getting out of that, I think. You know, the scandals continue. Is that we can walk in integrity and boldness. What is marked by the post-spirit-filled disciples? Post-Pentecost. What did you see before Jesus died and rose again and then the Holy Spirit was given? What kind of a demeanor did you see in the disciples? Anybody? What were they? Were they brave? Were they awesome? What were they doing? They were like scared. They were so scared. They were cowering. And you know what? I know why. Their lives were in danger. Like we kind of like think about it. Oh, you guys are like wussies. No, they were like harder than all of us. Even then, probably. I don't know. Peter was scared of a girl. But no, it wasn't just the... Not that girls aren't tough, but like a little girl. Okay. Not that little girls aren't, never mind. Okay. But the idea is like, you know, big bad Peter, you know, who's not very fast. John's faster. Um, they, they were scared of what could happen, what the opposition would think, what people would be saying. And then afterwards, they're like, nah, you can do whatever you want to do. We're pleasing God. I don't really care. You can do whatever you want to do to us, Right? I mean, as church history tells us, Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus. That's just a different cat, isn't it? But that's a boldness, you know? And that's Peter and John and Acts where they're standing there before him like, we're not listening to what you say. We're going to honor God, not you. How does, where does that come from? It's a boldness of a Holy Spirit-filled life with integrity of where things are where they're supposed to be. Man, whoa, that's a big deal, isn't it? The idea, too, is there's a gift, uh, a good standing, great boldness. It's like they, they, they've served well. There's a gift to serving. There's a gift to being a part of it. There's nothing like recognizing the need, being part of the solution, and serving well. Nothing like that. There's nothing like being used by God. It's, it is in to, it's like, in, it's not, a, I don't want to say intoxicating or addicting because that sounds negative. But it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a soul draw. It like pulls from your soul. It's like, this is what I've been looking for. To be used by the Lord for his kingdom. See lives changed, transformed. These things I write to you, verse 14. Though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church, the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So here's Paul telling us, like this, I'm hoping to come to you, but just in case... Here's how you need to set up the church. We're going to get a lot more examples of it too because uh, we're going to be in Titus in very similar um, type book, another pastoral epistle, pastor's letter to the pastors of the church, right? And so he's saying, I, 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 might, I'm tr- I want to get to you, but I want you to have this. And I love that. Paul's like, I hope I get to see him. You know what? I'll just write him a letter. And of course, that letter is now we look at it. And we go, ah, thank you for not being able to get there. Which reminds me, sometimes like when God 
says no to something, there's a really good reason. And you might not know for a thousand years later why. You may never know, right? It might not be clear until you get to eternity and go, what was that all about? I don't know if we'll be asking questions like that. I have no clue. But man, I'm so glad he wrote this down because it gives us such good insight. This is what the church looks like. Right? He's setting them up until he can get there. It's like a family, and it should be built and grounded in the truth, right? Right? This is, this is, this is how you build the church. And by the way, the, churches, the church was God's idea. It was, it was his idea. You know, Christ made it very clear that he was establishing the church. He would be the head, right? It's his idea, and it's important. So don't give, the other thing is I think a lot of times it's so easy to give our leftovers to the Lord. He says, no, give me your first fruits. Give me your best. And it's funny like how God seems to like take care of the rest. When you, when you get the first thing right, everything kind of falls into place, right? It's the idea of the cornerstone. You know, as Christ the cornerstone, everything's built off the cornerstone. If you get the cornerstone right, everything seems to work. But when you don't, eh, it's kind of tough. So then he gives us like this kind of like hymn at the end here of the chapter. He says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And God, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Uh, God was manifest in the world. The word became flesh. The logos became flesh and dwelt among us. The God-man, right? Justified in the spirit. The spirit descended on him like a dove. And what does the voice say? Here's my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? And then it was, it was clear through the signs and wonders that there was something very different about this guy and everybody else. Of course, we're also delineated by that Holy Spirit. It's the same way we look different than the world. It's how we're set apart and marked in a sense, too. Justified in the Spirit. Seen by angels. Uh, This could talk about, obviously, up above, and we also know he did something down below. (laughs) There was something going on down below where he's ruling over both angels, good and bad. Preached among the Gentiles. We know this is Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, which is so interesting. He'd spent his whole life being this amazing Jew. His ministry was to the Gentiles. And it was an amazing work, believing on, uh, believed on in the world. It was experienced and it was believed. There was radical transformations that altered lives and cultures big time. You know, we're the, the world we live in still, as of right now, as there's so many things changing and shifting, we are still living on the foundation of a Judeo-Christian background in a sense, right? And that's, that lingers, right? It lingers for a while. We still live on, in a sense, that foundation, and, and it sets up a totally different way of viewing people, a totally different way of valuing people. You could see it all over the world. It's, it's different. It's not like this. You don't see the same kind of values for things like freedom and equality. All the things that we talk about, these are brought about by a Judeo-Christian mindset. Following Jesus and his examples and the way he lived. Giving value to the least. Saying we were all created in the image of God. So it's believed on in the world and it's transformational. 
received up in glory. He was glorified in what? His ascension. Again, everybody got to see him go up, right? And it, the, it, it's finished. What other motivation do we need? He's done it. It's done. It's, it's the, and then he says, the victory's already been won. But there's still, it's, it's been done, but there's like a lasting foundation in the world. We're still working through it all. God is, is still, there's still sin, there's still death, there's still decay until the last person comes to know Jesus. And thank God he's long-suffering. Thank God that he's got patience. That means we still have time. That means there's still people in and around us that need to hear the good news. And, and, and so what do we do with it? God, why aren't you coming fast? It's like, why aren't you taking every second you have? Think about that a lot with my kids. They're growing up. They're getting big. And I'm like, oh, they're getting older. And I'm thinking, I always think it at night. Man, you've got to invest everything you, have, you can. They're just, they're getting bigger. They're getting older. Like, you only have so much time with them. What do you do with this? How do I deal with this? How do I, you know, and so it's like, it's engage. Like, engage. Don't just think about it. Don't just talk about it. Engage. Do the little stuff that you don't feel like doing because you're really tired. <laughs> you know? Go play baseball even though you really, you know, did not want to do that right now. Go outside. Do the stuff, right? So, so that's the same thing. We, we know. We see Jesus is glorified. We know he's coming back. And so in the meantime, we got to go out and reach out. All the people that are around us, there is a, there is a plethora of people that want to be saved. Imagine if you were one of the ones left out. <laughs> God is long-suffering. He's patient, beyond patient. So, so we, we, we're stoked about that. 